Welcome to the Stott Legacy. He is within us. He shares in the pain. We must not ask God to change his timetable because we're getting a little bit impatient. Or think of the beginning of the first letter of Peter. John Stott was born on 27th of April 1921. And in this, the centenary year of his birth, we're meeting different people around the world who either knew him or who were influenced by him. Please join me, Mark Mennell, as month by month we explore different aspects of the extraordinary life, ministry and legacy of Uncle John. If you heard the first half of our conversation, you'll know that Timothy Dudley Smith is a remarkable man. He's best known the world over for his hymns, but he also served for many years as a bishop in the Church of England. And more significantly for our purposes, he was John Stott's official biographer. This writing project was one he took up in his retirement, and it became quite a substantial enterprise, resulting in two excellent volumes. As before, I was joined by Timothy's daughter, Sarah, because we'd been a little nervous about how his memory would hold up now that he is all of 95 years old. As it happens, and as you'll hear, we needn't have worried. Sarah hardly got a word in. So let's pick it up now when we're talking about that biography. And I asked if there were any surprises for him when he was doing the research. I wish I could remember them. Mm. I can only say that, yes, the word, you'd have to read the book again. <laughs> You're right. To discuss, so the, 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 the fact of it, there were surprises. But there were, <laughs> there were, there were surprises. I mean, I'm spending a week in his flat, mm. working through some of his files by his permission. I mean, I think that, uh, though it was, of course, in the public domain, irked him came as quite a surprise to me in looking at the correspondence. What was Erkdom? I don't know. No, I haven't heard of that. Erkdom? It was an evangelical Roman Catholic, that's it. Oh, sort of dialogue. Dialogue right. on mission. Okay. That which he set up, huh. and to which they said high-ranking people. And when he died, perhaps, or maybe before that, when he sort of retired, there are letters from the Vatican, and um, huh. he said these Roman Catholic theologians were astonished to find that he was an Orthodox Christian huh. in a calcedon sense of um, the divinity of Christ. Yeah. A creedal Christian. Yeah, they didn't think we were that at all. They thought we were just a sect. <laughs> so that was quite news to me, really, Erkdom. Huh. And there were other similar groups that he set up. Mm. And I think just your research, particularly with the second book, you were getting stories and anecdotes from people you didn't know, mm. weren't you? Oh, and, constantly. Um, and discovering about that. Constantly. I, I would come across in his diaries, which he lent me. He only kept a diary when he was overseas. Mm. And he then kept a pretty capacious diary because he could send his home to Francis to provide some prayer material for the All Souls prayer group. Right. And they would send it on to his families. Right. Um, so when I came across a name or a visit, 
and there was somebody I could write to. I would write and say I was his authorised biographer, and could they fill in this mm. or that? Hmm. And many of them were extremely helpful, hmm. very helpful. Because you told me earlier that actually the second volume was harder because it wasn't directly your story. It wasn't my story, that's right, absolutely. I divided, I continued my pattern of dividing it into decades. Mm -hmm. And within each decade, I would try to make sure that I covered what we now think of as his legacy, so there would always be a section on his publications, for right. example. Because it's often struck me that writing a biography of a writer is actually quite a difficult thing to do. I mean, obviously, Don wasn't just a writer, but, you know, you it, it's quite tricky to say, well, and then he published X, and then there was Y, and it just becomes a litany. But but this, this doesn't read like that, I guess because he was so... Um, sort of multi-talented and doing different well, things. Well, I tried to make sure it didn't. Yes. I mean, uh, Michael Green, I remember. You probably had a strong view, did he? Reviewing, um, <laughs> one of the Bible speaks today that oh, yes. John had done and said, oh. I sometimes think the Apostle Paul would be astonished to find it was an orderly sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that is a great, great line. I, th I think of that often <laughs> And you and you and my mum used to read those in bed at night, didn't you? Particularly John Stott's one. The, the Bible speaks today. Yes. We didn't get very far. I would read a page, uh, or hardly a page, before a gentle murmuring beside me would indicate that I was reading to myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was. I'm sure it was osmosis for her. <laughs> With that sort of comment by Michael Green, I mean. How would John have taken that? Would he have smiled? Well, he'd have been, very, very, he would have enjoyed that. Oh, he'd have enjoyed that immensely. Um, would he have given it much credence, do you think? Do you think? Would he have taken that? He would have noticed that as something that he must be a little careful about in future. Right. Not to impose a structure on the apostle. But perhaps it was not quite so obvious. Because suddenly all of Paul's writing is completely clear and, and Peter right. was wrong saying that some find it difficult. Right. <laughs> I mean, John grew up in the days when the senior evangelicals would give talks in which all the headings would begin with the same yes. letter, you know, yes. mm. and which was not his way. Right. But you, you and he did used to laugh a lot, didn't you? And, we uh, used to laugh a lot, yes, we did. And I think, because you tell the stories about when you were at Hooks's with him and how he would read Sarkey. Oh, that's right. Well, I uh, wish you had time and I could show you a video of John reading Sarkey uh, at Hooks's. Mm -hmm. And he, he, he breaks out into his own chuckles and, <laughs> and the holes the reading from time to time. I tried to get him to read the P.G. Woodhouse, one one of the best short stories, but it wasn't had this had the magic that Saki had. That's interesting, and, isn't it? Because I know Dick Lucas is a real P.G. Woodhouse man. <laughs> you and you and Dick share P.G. Woodhouse we reading, do. don't yes, you? Yes, we do. I think he was reading P.G. Woodhouse when the bomb. Yes, that's right. Oh right. <laughs> he was he was in bed. He went to bed early, that's and so he right. was in bed yeah. reading P.G. Woodhouse. And yeah. if he hadn't been, he probably wouldn't have survived the bomb. No, that's yes. right. I say somewhere that one of my difficulties was that everybody's recollection of John that I had been able to discover almost everybody's 
woodcutter's hagiography put right. them all together. So how did you deal with that or combat when that? When I could find anything that was critical of him. Um, for example, at Urbana, on mm-hmm. a question time at Urbana, I think that's right, and I, I'm not accurate these days. Um, he was pressed by somebody as to whether breaking the speed limit was permissible for a Christian and found himself wriggling a good deal because he knew that he didn't keep the <laughs> Francis sitting beside him as they drove down to Hooksies would say, John, I think you're going a little fast. And he would say, well, when you see the needle from your angle, it looks... <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the so-called spirit of the law, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the criticism um, is a serious thing, though, because, you know, I mean, within the Church of England, but also overseas, particularly, I guess, in North America, there were people who didn't have a lot of time for evangelicalism, and he was such a figurehead for it. But he was willing to be out there and... I mean, the whole saga behind The Essentials book... Absolutely. That was pretty unique, wasn't it? I... I... I was appalled when I heard he'd taken this on. Why? Because, because he was putting himself... David Edwards is so clever. Right. And um, that uh, David was going to write twice as long, two or three times as long in his section on the scriptures, for example, as John's response to him. Right. I didn't think it quite fair that John should have to respond. So it was an uneven playing field. It, it was an uneven playing field. I was on holiday down in Cornwall when he sent me the first section. And rather to Arlette's annoyance, I had to forego a visit to the beach with you all. <laughs> Do you remember that? It was very that, rare, actually. So, yes, it was. And you um, did that, yeah. as I read, as I read um, Edwards, probably on the scriptures, I was appalled. I was saying to him, I don't think John should ever have agreed to do this. Mm. Then I read his response, and of course, it was masterly and is masterly. Mm. And I think what I chiefly remember was and have often quoted since, well, two things. The first is, um, is David Edwards' tribute to John as, as the most, alongside William Temple, the most <laughs> significant Anglican. But also, at one point, John saying, I am an evangelical Anglican Christian. Christian first, evangelical next. Anglican in addition. Mm. I could conceive myself being a Christian who was not an Anglican, mm. but not a Christian who was not an evangelical. Right. And by that I mean that I take the scriptures as my authority, and if I can be shown that I believe or practice anything which is contrary to scripture, I will change. Mm. Can you, David, say as much? I thought that was a very telling challenge. Yes. Very telling. Because you, you knew David because he'd been dean at... Yes, I knew David because he'd been ah, dean at Norwich. so you'd been colleagues. That's right. Yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, was John nervous about taking it on in the first place? Yeah, inevitably, I yes. think there was a certain... 
I mean, it's quite something to have a, a in, sort of intellectual powerhouse go through all your published writing Absolutely. with a tooth comb. Absolutely. I think he was a bit nervous, yes. but he stood by what he had written. Yes. Do you think he regretted it afterwards? Because obviously there were one or two controversies. He regretted for... afterwards only because people misread what he said about eternal punishment. Yes. It is still the case in some circles that uh, people have misunderstood what John Stott said about eternal punishment, and it's a very difficult and painful topic at the best of times. Timothy holds firmly the view that if you carefully read what John Stott is saying, he's actually saying that he believes eternal annihilation to be a legitimately scriptural position, rather than simply saying that's what he himself believed. And Timothy felt strongly that certain senior evangelicals actually got it wrong in how they interpreted Stott's views. I think Naughty Jim Packer failed to read the nuance that John mm. had given. He's very careful in it, isn't he? He's very careful. He yes. doesn't say, this is what the scriptures said, this is... This, this is a tenable position, right. he says. And he's not saying that's my position. No, he's not even saying that's my position. Not, yeah. not I think he's pretty, pretty well indicating that he wishes it could be. Yes. And indeed we all wish that, don't we? Yes. I remember John Wenham, obviously, who did have that position. Yeah. Um, sort of commending that, but... So I think he said to me once, um, I just wish he'd gone a bit further or something, which yeah. is telling. I mean, that's the whole point. Is that's that, the, that's uh, the whole point. And I think it was Jim Packer, really, who put the geese among the pigeons or whatever it is. <laughs> and, um, the geese in the bag? No, no. <laughs> John had come down on, right. the, on the side of huh. annihilation. Hmm. Whereas... Surely this is where we take refuge in Simeon's famous huh. contrast that the truth is not in the middle, it's not in one extreme or the other, it's in both extremes. Right. And the fact that we can't reconcile them is our limitation and the yes. one thing we shall see. And I think that will be John's position. Yes. I want to come back to Simeon, um, yeah. but do you think... Um, with Jim Packer, there, there, there was always a bit of a tension between them because they were both sort of significant, impressive they leaders. Were. Was there a bit of a sort of friction there, maybe? I have no evidence to suggest no. it, except for Jim's departure to America. Right. I just wonder... That was a disappointment. Well, yes, whether he saw that actually... There were positions of leadership in theology open to him in America, which um, John would be occupying in this country. Right. But I may be quite wrong in no. that. Okay. I'm, I'm reminded now, I don't know whether you've read um, The uh, oh, a yeah. Godly Ambition. Yeah, Godly Ambition. Um, was, what's his name? I, I do know the book. I can't I remember was the name. disappointed. I felt he was trying to squeeze John into a framework dictated by class structure. Right. Now, that I wanted to ask you about that because he his implication, or no, he's explicit in the book in saying 
John started looking further afield because whatever it was, his plans for All Souls weren't working. I don't believe that at all. I don't think there's any evidence for no. this. I mean, all the people I talked to, I and mean, when the book came out, I was on the staff at All Souls and talked to a few people, and they were very surprised by that. They said they didn't remember anything like that. I forgot Alistair Chapman. That was it. I was very disappointed because we'd all gone out of our way to help Alistair. Right. Uh, and I, uh, I, I chiefly came away feeling that he's obsessed by the thought of social class and saying that, you know, John came from a social class brought up with a household of servants mm. and this kind of thing. And somehow this left its mark on him. Well, I certainly can't find any evidence. For I that. mean, it would almost be the other way around. Exactly, that actually he was Absolutely. determined to. But I, I mean, I confess, I skimmed through the book pretty quickly. Mm. I wasn't pleased with it. Because I mean, I think that, in, in particularly in our conversations I've had for this with people, you know, in the global south, and yeah. we've talked to. Um, Ruth Padilla and yes, Jorge Atiencia and people in you know in Africa and other places, mm. um, you know the the thing that comes again and again is that he was not like the imperialists that they'd all known. Mm. He, he he was he was just uh, saw himself on the same level. There's a story in the book of John with, uh, I think it it could be a a, a native. South American mm -hmm. Christian, I forget who, mm -hmm. who was taken unwell and John ministered to him and looked after him, um, nursed him really for a week or two and how the people in the guest house or the hotel <coughs> or was, simply could not believe mm. that here was a white man doing this. Mm. 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 Yes. And there are stories, you know, people leaving shoes outside and finding that he'd be the one to clean them all. Yeah. <laughs> no, I must tell you. Yes, indeed. But at the old minister, he, it was quite difficult to get the secretary out of his office, uh -huh. which is not surprising when you think what a load he was carrying right. and, and working for a first at the same time. <laughs> but he was once persuaded out of his office that I remember and had no tennis shoes to wear. So he asked Douglas Argyle if he could borrow his tennis shoes. So he did. When he returned them, one of them was immaculately whitened, and the other was left in its dingy state as a reminder. <laughs> this is what you should aspire to. <laughs> oh, gosh, that reminds me once um, at All Souls. It was in the summer, and it was really hot that year, and we had the sort of prayer little prayer time before a so evening service um i wasn't doing anything in the service but i came in to join the little prayer time and i was wearing shorts and john was there and he just looked at me and says oh i, I appear to have forgotten to wear my shorts this evening <laughs> <laughs> in other words uh, you won't be doing this again um well i mean i would happily go on all day but i don't want to exhaust you you've been amazingly generous with your time but let's try and wrap things up a little bit and he was part of your entire christian life in many ways oh wasn't absolutely he? i mean i look to him either in print or in person 
really is my mentor. Yes. And under the scriptures, my authority, really. I mean, I noticed by your chair side, you've got, here we have yes, I Christ the Controversialist. So I didn't put that there for you. It's been sitting there for a I can see the message of Romans. It's yeah, there right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, they're so fresh when you read them, aren't they? Eh? Aren't they? And he really worked at this. Yes. Writing in manuscript. And Frances said, typing it up and she says somewhere that she really didn't have to alter much. It's amazing. She went along. Whereas when she said me a copy of my <laughs> draft in typescript, I would then have a lot <laughs> to change. Right. She mm. was very good. Because those were the days before word Of course. All typed. Yeah. And, and it is a concern, isn't it, that you've had that his legacy could be lost and I know you're very pleased that Mark and others are trying to oh, keep it alive because mm. things move so quickly yes. these days and mm. younger generations don't always no. know his name and uh, so I know you wouldn't um, boast know. about this at all but you had spare copies of these biographies that you've been sharing mm. haven't you yes. with leaders at the Scripps Union camps mm. and Tyndale House and mm. so on. Right. Well I mean I remember at All Souls I remember talking to a student um, in the in the undercroft and uh, where the bookstall and and the student just said, "Why have you got all these books by the same man?" Yeah. Yes, hadn't a clue. And in, that, in all souls. In all souls, and that was only just a f two or three years after he died. Absolutely. So they just hadn't heard of him. No, mm. isn't that ex that's a most telling phrase? Yeah. What an extraordinary thing. Yes. Um, yes, as you said, when sadly for years now. Vol 1 has only been available in paperback and Vol 2 in hardback because they printed more than they managed to right, sell. Right. So I haven't been able to give people a set. Hmm. But Sarah very cleverly searched Amazon ah, or whatever. eBay. <laughs> yep. And yeah, and so I now have a, a one or two sets. Right. And gave one only yesterday, was it, to Pierce? Yes. Mm. Yes, um, he'd become a Christian through John's ministry, Pierce Jarney. Yeah, I know him, um, yeah. Mm. yeah. That's right. That's lovely. Well, a combination of yeah. John's ministry and Tell Out My Soul, so that was oh, a rather lovely combination. Isn't that good? <laughs> isn't that good? Um, can you sum up for you personally what John's legacy is? Well, I think... I, I did do that just now. His personal example, as we see him, I hope, portrayed mm. as, as a person in, in, for example, in saying that if you have to engage in controversy, you must let your, you must believe, or you must take into account the best construction. Right. Of your opponent's case, yes. so easy to set up Aunt Sally's. Yep. That was the sort of thing that he was very strong on. And so needed today. And so needed today. Mm -hmm. yeah. So his personal example, his ministerial example, in which we tend to forget today because so much of what he pioneered has become standard practice, mm -hmm. like guest services and this kind mm -hmm. of thing. And um, the setting up of structures, mm. we tend often to belittle the thought of structures. Uh, it's 
its administration. John was a great believer that if you want to accomplish things, you set up a structure to do it, so mm. that we have motto there. Here's the books. There should be 22 of them. Mm. Christian Foundation. Ah, right. I think he's... I think he'd had in mind the influence of tracts from the Times. Mm. don't think it's those, is it? Those are actual paperbacks, but is that... No. Oh, there's a hodder. Confess Your Sins. Would that be one? Yes, that was the first oh, one. And is that like Christian preparing family. for your confirmation? Was that one of them? That's right. Okay. Yes. I mean, there were just so many. Well, I'm not sure these are a bit of a variety, yes. aren't they? But, yeah. but that one is definitely... That, that one. Okay, that... Okay. Yeah. Thank you, darling. Um, I, I remember now. I, I did want to bring up Charles Simeon. Yes. Um, and, appropriately enough, we're sitting in Cambridge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, John would say, I'm a sin, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. So what, what do you think Simeon meant to John? I think Simeon meant to him that he is an example of what the scriptures constantly tell us, that if we're faithful, we must expect a rough time at hmm. times. And Simeon really did have and a rough Simeon time. Simeon really did. Being locked out of Holy Trinity and things. Absolutely. Um, John was never locked out of all souls, though, was he? No, he wasn't locked <laughs> out of all But he did have that awful time with his father over conscientious yes. objection. Um, yes. I mean, that was really very painful. He writes to his mother saying, it's not impossible that I may have to go to prison. Yes. Um, Do you so think that had a scarring effect on him? I mean, did that have longer-term repercussions, do you think? I think it had a wholly advantageous effect. I think it's ah. sometimes what the Lord does to people who he's going to use in a big way, that he puts them through mm. a rough time at the beginning mm. so that they can look back and say, the Lord saw me through that and right. he saw me through this. Mm. It, was a very, it was a very difficult time mm. for John that. Um, so where have we got to structures? We were talking about mm -hmm. Christian foundations. Well, then he had Christian debate and other circles. Had Christian reading groups. Mm -hmm. He had groups that went to see the cinema, and the theatre, mm -hmm. to keep up with the double listing. Mm -hmm. But actually, even even with these groups and structures and 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 concern for global mission and all of that, that's very Simeon-like as well, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it absolutely? Right. I mean, it's uncanny yes. the parallels. His, his reading yes. parties. Yes. Simeon's reading parties where they right. gather. And I think if the, the portraits of Simeon preaching, yes. he'd think yes. he was a preacher as well. Yes, wasn't right, he? yes. Well, and indeed, the first person for a century, perhaps, to discover or to rediscover expository preaching. Yes, yes. Up till then, I don't think people had taken the scripture seriously in the pulpit. Not in this country, anyway. Not in this country, anyway. Yeah, yeah that's right. All that. Yeah. And... Um, and then, as you say, the uh, the eclectic society, yeah. which is was, a direct, yes, thing. and uh, which was extremely people like Michael Bourne in their mm. memoirs say mm. that that was very f formative for mm. them. Mm. So that I do think that his legacy is multi-sided, mm. 
but in, if I had to choose one, it would be his legacy in print. Mm. And I do think the publishers in question have a responsibility to keep these books in print because mm. they haven't dated. Mm. And uh, that we have a responsibility who know them to introduce them to a new generation. Mm. And I mean, once they have begun, I think, I think that it's a little, it's a shame really that basic Christianity is now actually quite difficult reading for a new Christian. It is, yeah. Yes. Which is telling in itself, isn't it? Which is telling in itself. Mm. Because he, they were his mission addresses, mm. as you know, and they are a wonderful interruption if you have mind to, to mm. press on and you've got the categories i guess yeah in in place and then he sort of joins yeah. the dots that's right mm. that's right well we've gone on for an hour and a quarter or something this has been absolutely amazing i'm really grateful to both of you so thank you very much indeed at this time of conflict it would be good to pray for God's people to be able to bring Christ's love and hope to the difficult circumstances they're in. And where those who know Christ have influence, we pray that they could make a difference in holding back evil and cruelty and bringing about resolutions. In particular, we ask prayers for our many brothers and sisters in Ukraine, where Langham, uh, all three parts of Langham, both Langham scholars, Langham Literature and Langham Preaching have been involved for many years. We also pray likewise for our brothers and sisters in Russia. We have no idea how the current turmoil will play out, but please pray that God's hand will be seen to bring peace, truth and justice for all in these darker days. Thank you so much for listening to The Stock Legacy. Thank you also to my Langham Partnership colleagues who have helped to make this podcast a reality. And special thanks to Vic Marseille from Langham Partnership UK and Ireland for all her hard work in editing and producing each episode. Please do leave a review wherever you get your podcasts, recommend it to friends, and above all, tune in next time. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.